And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I've based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. If we could see the result of all that God does in every service where the Word of God is lifted and preached, we'd be dumbfounded and amazed at what God does. It's just not about uh, an attendance number on a board. How many people can you get coming faithfully to your church? The purpose of church is not for attendance. The purpose of church is for growth. But if we look in the mirror, we're not perfect either. And the truth is, again, you can't change the other person. You can't get them saved. You can't change their faults. But God can. But you can change your own faults through God's help. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, come to the end of what's best for you, Start doing what's best for the sake of the Savior. Here we are with episode number 264. Wow, 264 episodes of the Sandy Creek Stirrings podcast. Thank you for joining me again here today. Uh, of course, I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. I want to thank you for joining us here on the podcast. As we continue today, the Rapture Series. The Rapture Series, we recorded part one, episode number 262, part two, episode number 263, and then today will be part three. We do have a fourth part coming up next week. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming days. Um, but here we are with this next portion in the Rapture Series. This has been good so far, I feel like. I have have really enjoyed this podcast, this topic we've been discussing, a topic of much debate, really. A lot of speculation, a lot of different sides to this argument. One true, though. Let's, let's just be honest. If, if you've been listening through this series, you know there are a few different views on when the rapture will happen. Will it happen before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation, Y'all only can only one can be right. We can't just be like, oh yeah, we'll both be right. No, that's not the way it works. Truth, truth by definition is singular. 
Uh, just putting that out there, truth by defini- definition is singular. Uh, there's only one truth. In fact, we we talked about that episode number 118. Why I'm an onlyist. Why I'm an onlyist. I actually had um, shortly before that someone came out and cried against the fact, uh, specifically churches and myself were targeted in this um, that you're an onlyist. You, you know the problem with onlyism. Uh, I'm I'm an onlyist. In fact. The Bible isn't only us. There's only one way, one truth, one life. Um, truth, by definition, is singular. So while there may be a lot of debate, while there may be a lot of speculation, while there may be this side and that side, only one side can be true. They can't both be true. I really feel like we last week we had a guest, uh, Pastor Patrick Jimenez, came on the episode with us for the Rapture Series Part 2, and that episode was titled, The Biblical Timing of the Rapture the biblical timing of the rapture, where he went through Scripture and very definitively proved the biblical timing of the rapture. Look, these are unanswerable unanswerable things that you've got some guys within the quote-unquote new IFB crowd, and maybe we'll talk about them in a a different episode. We're not going to devote a whole bunch of time, but I am IFB. I'm Independent Fundamental Baptist. I've talked about that before. Uh, You can go through and listen to some of our other other episodes on that subject. But there's a group now called the new IFB, and um, they are big. They're a big—they call themselves post-trib. They're actually mid-trib. They want to try and split hairs and say, well, we're post-trib, pre-wrath. It's mid-trib. Same thing. And um, so they can't even get their terminology right to start with. But um, you got this new IFB crowd, and they say this, and you got this other crowd, you know, over here. uh, Some Presbyterians believe in this post-trib type stuff. You've got a guy like uh, Vadi Bacham, um, who is, by the way, a Calvinist. A whole bunch of things with Vadi Bacham that we could discuss, um, if that's even how you say his name, Vadi Bacham. I think that's how it is. He's an all-millennialist, which means I, I heard him quote, or I'm not going to quote him, but this is what I heard him say. You can look it up for yourself. Uh, I wouldn't encourage you to waste your time. But um, he's an amillennialist, meaning that he believes we are in the millennial reign of Christ right now. And he said this. He said, because look at how much freedom we have to be able to spread the gospel across the world. <laughs> I Does this guy have no idea about China? North Korea? the Middle East, where to this day, I mean, just last week, there in, uh, in Pakistan, Christian churches were being burnt to the ground. Freedom to spread the gospel? Oh, in America, there's freedom to spread the gospel. But even that, if you're watching, some of that's starting to fade away, too. This guy's a kook. This guy's a nut. All right, we are not in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And for more information on what the millennial reign of Christ is, go back and listen to 262. That's the Rapture Series Part 1, an intro to the end times discussion. All I'm saying today is, at least in this portion before we get into today's topic, is truth by definition is singular. Just because there's a lot of debate, just because there's a lot of this and that, doesn't mean they're all right, doesn't mean it's a, it's a, doesn't mean it's a difficult thing to figure out. With a little bit of time studying, a little bit of time counseling, a little bit of time going through Scripture, you can clearly establish from the Bible, not man's teaching. You can clearly define from the Bible when, of course, this is the rapture series, when the rapture 
is going to take place. Um, our guest last week, I encourage you, if you missed that, go back and listen to episode number 263, did a phenomenal job of just going through the Bible and clearly explaining when the rapture has to take place from Scripture. You can quote me man's teaching, you can quote me what this guy says and that guy says, I'm talking about what the Bible has to say, and the Bible is very clear. The rapture has to happen before the tribulation starts, and we'll talk about that a little bit more today in today's episode. I want to thank you for listening, and thank you for being a listener. As always, you can follow us on Facebook. We release all of our episodes there on Facebook, as well as all the major podcasting platforms as well. If you have any questions, you can always email me, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. Again, that's joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. Now, let's dive into today's episode. We're going to talk about the early church and the rapture. The early church and the rapture. What did the early church teach and believe about the rapture? Now, I want to be very careful to say that last week we discussed the biblical timing of the rapture. And today we're going to discuss what the early church taught about the rapture. There are many, and here's the reason I want to do this, there are many who deny the pre-tribulation rapture. And what they will do is, part of the, their opening, part of their introduction to denying the pre-tribulation rapture is they'll say something like this. By the way, I've heard a lot of guys in the new, quote-unquote, I, I even hate calling them this because they can't even get their own name, uh, the new IFB crowd, um, they will say, well, uh, the pre-tribulation wasn't taught until this man came along the scene or until this time in history, and they use that as really the bastion of their denial. They will say something like, uh, the pre-tribulation rapture wasn't taught until the 1800s, or John Nelson Darby, or John Darby was the the first man to teach this as a doctrine, the pre-tribulation rapture. I've heard many of them say that. In fact, if I were to give you some names, some very prominent men who are quote-unquote new IFB will say within their introduction, I've heard them say from their own mouths, Well, we shouldn't believe this because this wasn't taught until the 1800s. This wasn't taught until John Nelson Darby. Let's talk about that for a second. John Nelson Darby was what many call the father of dispensationalism, the father of dispensationalism. Now, we did an episode on dispensationalism, episode number 188. If you've heard the term dispensation or dispensationalism, or are you dispensational, we discussed all that. What does that terminology mean in episode number 188? And in that episode, I discussed why I am a dispensationalist and also why I'm not. Um, there's a couple reasons why I'm not a dispensationalist. There's a few reasons why I am. There's a reason why I don't call myself a dispensationalist. Now, I believe a lot of things that a, a true dispensationalist believes, that there's different ways to look at Scripture, and uh, I, I can agree with a lot of those things. They really push the literal interpretation of Scripture, the literal millennial reign of Christ, the, the literal rapture before the, before the tribulation, a lot of literal interpretation. I agree with those things. I don't call myself a dispensationalist, though, because I can't define whether or not I'm a hyper-dispensationalist. A lot of times you call yourself a dispensationalist, you get lumped in with hyper-dispensationalists who sadly take that idea of dispensationalism and they convert it into different ways of salvation. Now, I'm not trying to get out on the weeds on today, but that's who John Nelson Darby was. He was what many call the father of dispensationalism. But in throwing out the name of 
John Nelson Darby. Others will throw out men like C.I. Schofield or L.S. Schaefer or Clarence Larkin or D.L. Moody as really the inventors or the first teachers of the pre-tribulation rapture. They'll throw those names out, John Darby being the main guy. Could it be, though, that in history, these men taught something that others before had already taught? And my main goal today is to show you evidence of that. That these men weren't inventors of the pre-tribulation rapture. Really, the pre-tribulation rapture was taught within the early church. Now, if you are a mid-tribber, post-tribber, post-trib pre-wrath, if you don't want to split hairs over terms, um, if you're one of those and you're about to shut me down, let me encourage you to listen today. Because if you're one of those people who you open and you say, well, I can't believe the pre-tribulation rapture because it wasn't taught till the 1800s, listen today to find out why that is a false statement. I'll go so far as to say that if you say that, you are a liar. Because I'm going to give you evidence of that today. So we're going to look at early historical evidence and teachings of the pre-tribulation rapture. We're going to talk about that today. First of all, within this evidence, this this historical evidence and teaching, we have scriptural evidence itself. Now, I, I understand you're, you may be sitting here today, and maybe you're pre-trib. Great. You're, you're all with me. As far as mid-trib, post-trib, you're listening today, you're like, wait a second. You know, you say the scripture teaches that I say the scripture. That's not a proof of your side. And I agree within a debate type setting, okay? And I completely disagree with you that Scripture would say anything towards your side. You're wrong. <laughs> we, we discussed that last week within the biblical timing of the rapture. I agree in the sense that in a debate setting, this wouldn't be a valid-type argument because we're both using it in different ways, in a sense. The Scripture is clear. You can't, you can't. The Bible says there is no private interpretation of Scripture. You can't say, well, the Scripture says this on one side and I say it on the other. One of us is wrong and one of us is right. But I, I understand the argument. But before I can really get into it, I have to give the scriptural evidence because that is the first thing that teaches us. This is where we derive our philosophy about the rapture, about when it's going to happen. All of that comes from scripture. Now, I know that we did very in-depth an hour-long um, last week on scriptural evidence, the biblical timing of the rapture from the Bible. And so I'm not going to take time here today. Um, but for those who beli- um, who are listening, who believe that the Bible— is wrong, you would want me to say that, well, no, I'm saying that you, Josh, you're wrong. No, 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 you're saying the Bible is wrong. This won't stand as much evidence to you because you believe wrongly that the Bible teaches otherwise. But if you're listening today, you're listening about the rapture, you say, I just want to know what the Bible says. Listen closely, and then we'll move on to the next point. But for the ones who who really want to know what the Bible actually says, let this reaffirm the truth that we talked about last week. So I'm going to run through a quick few points. This will not take long. So uh, just put a grip on the steering wheel. Here we go. We're going to fly through this, and then we're going to get into what the early church taught. I'm going to give some of those evidences historically that I discussed just a little bit ago. Here's some reasons why, from Scripture, the rapture has to happen before the tribulation. Uh, number one, the Bible says that God will keep the church from the hour of temptation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world 
to try them that dwell upon the earth. Uh, Let me ask you, when will God judge all the world? When will God bring the hour of temptation? Well, this is referring to the tribulation. That is the hour, this appointed time. This is an eternity, right? This isn't standing before the eternal judgment of God. This is an hour. This is a, a particular segment of time that God has appointed, and he will judge the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. He says, hey, I'm going to keep you those who have bought into salvation through Jesus Christ, of course, it's not. there's nothing to buy, it's free, but you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be kept from that hour of temptation. God said he will keep the church from that hour. There's the first reason. Number two, the Bible says that the church is not designed to go through the tribulation. Why? Because the tribulation was designed as a judgment on the world and a calling once more to the nation of Israel. Of course, we can see that clearly defined in Daniel 9, verses 20 through, or 24 through 27. We discussed that more in depth last week. But 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11, speaks of the coming of Christ and the rapture. And in describing the, the timing of the rapture, and it, it, the rapture coming really, the Bible says, at any time, It is said, the rapture is said to come before the tribulation, because in verse 9 you said, the Bible says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath. You see, historically, there was a lot of things going on here in Thessalonica during this time. They believed they had missed the coming of Christ and that they were already in the tribulation. That's what they believed historically. And Paul is writing to them, describing to them that, No, the tribulation has not come yet. But even then, they shouldn't be worried because it's going to happen before the tribulation. Paul's saying, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not in the tribulation yet, but even if you're worried about that, we're not going to go through it. God hasn't appointed us to tribulation. God hasn't appointed us to wrath. Go back and read 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, and then the verse we mentioned before, Revelation 3, 10. Something very interesting is I'll hear some guys, in fact, I was doing some research for this episode. I was listening to a guy who is a post, he says he's post-trib, he's actually mid-trib, and, um, but he said, you know, uh, he said this, he said, what, oh, the Bible says all throughout that we're, that we're going to have tribulations in life and blah, blah, blah. I find it very interesting. The guy doesn't even realize that there's a difference between the tribulation which we talked about uh, two episodes ago, the end times discussion and introduction, we talked about what the tribulation is. There's a difference between tribulations that we'll all go through, tribulations with an S at the end, and the tribulation. There's a difference there. We're not appointed to that tribulation, or as in Revelation 3.10, that hour. Now, Paul, in describing in that passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11, through 11, He finishes his discourse on the timing of the rapture and its purpose, and then he says this in verse 11, following up that thought. He says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. I was listening to one guy talk about, he was an end times teacher, he was talking about this passage. I love the way He put it in talking about this verse in reference to those who say, well, no, Paul was saying that, you know, uh, they would have to go through some of the tribulation. The guy was 
referencing that, and he said this, I'm going to quote him. He said, so if I come to you and, and I'm not pre-trib and I say, we're looking for the Antichrist. He's going to rise up out of Europe. He's going to lead the globalist one world order. There's going to be many miracles. There's going to be a biblical proportion judgments on the world. It's going to be horrible. You might even get your head chopped off. You're going to be on the run. You're going to be in the doghouse and all your family. You're not even going to know who's living at the time. Be encouraged. Look for the Antichrist. Do you think God wants you looking for the Antichrist or for Jesus in the sky? Because if you're mid-trib, post-trib, whatever you want to call yourself, you're not looking for Christ. You're looking for the coming of the Antichrist. That's not who we're supposed to be looking for. Number three, um, another reason why, again, we've talked about this very much in depth. I'm just kind of giving a review, Um, but we talked about this in depth last week if you missed it. Number three. Here's something interesting. The church is not mentioned at all as being on the earth during the tribulation of Revelation. You won't find the church being mentioned. It's funny, the church is mentioned in the first three chapters, and it's mentioned at the end of Revelation, um, in the very end. And, you know, God uses, in in proclaiming his message during the tribulation and spreading the gospel, God uses a—we a, see a heralding angel is used. We see the two witnesses are used. We see the 144,000 from the different tribes of Israel are used. They're all used to proclaim the gospel message. You can't show me where God uses the church to. And by the way, that's the church's whole job. So why would the church not be used during this period where the gospel needs to be spread like never before? You won't find a single usage where the church is used to declare his message of the gospel during the tribulation. Why? There's only one explanation. The church has to be gone. Next, number four. The the restrainer will be taken out of the way before the tribulation. The restrainer will will be taken out of the way before the tribulation. Again, we discussed this in depth last week. Let me give you a quick rundown. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 5 through 8. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he, notice this, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Now, again, going back to verse 6, and now you know what withholdeth that he, the he here is referring to that guy in verse number 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed. The wicked there has a capital W. It's referring to the Antichrist. Everybody agrees with that. And then shall that wicked, that Antichrist, be revealed. Okay, so going back to verse number 6, by the way, verse 8 finishes out, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. All right, verse 6 says, let me tell you what's withholding the Antichrist from being revealed. The Bible says, for the mystery of iniquity, in verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity, this iniquity is already working. Only he who letteth, or he who um, now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The word letteth and the word let in verse 7, it's an old English word that doesn't mean the same as it means today. Back when the Bible was written, these words, letteth and let, mean to hold back, to retain, or to restrain. Paul is saying, hey, the, the iniquity is already working, but there's somebody kind of holding that back. Who is the person who holds back the world from just complete demise into iniquity? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's what's holding the world back from just completely d- going into just utter chaos. The Holy Spirit is holding 
all of that back. And we find that what's going to have to happen is before that Antichrist is revealed, the Holy Spirit, the one who is the restrainer, has to be taken out of the way. Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, if we are saved, he's sealed in our hearts. There's no way he can be taken out of our hearts. So meaning God has to take the Holy Spirit out of the world. He's going to have to take the church with it. And as soon as the church and the Holy Spirit are removed, iniquity is just going to be let loose. Think about it. You have Christians in government, you have Christians in medicine, you have Christians in society, you have Christians in schools, you have Christians in colleges, you have Christians here, and you have churches and all these different things. Imagine what will happen when God takes away all those churches and all those Christians who are making an impact on this world. That whole world is going to go into, boom, utter chaos and utter iniquity. Next, number five. Here's another reason the, the tribulation has to happen, or the rapture has to happen before the tribulation is because no one knows the day or hour. Matthew 24 verse 36 says, but of the day and that or, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven but my father only. All right? So there's just five quick reasons why the rapture has to happen before the tribulation. So in this historical evidence study we're going to do we do have the evidence of scripture and that needs to stand as the first and foremost thing. The Scripture, right? I mean, if you're mid-trib, post-trib, you're listening today, you're saying, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. The Bible is true. All right? The Bible is true. There used to be a bumper sticker that used to be plastered on cars back in the day that said, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Yeah, decent little bumper sticker, right? The Bible said it. I believe it. That settles it. Somebody came up with a better bumper sticker, though. It says, the Bible says it. That settles it, whether I believe it or not. It doesn't matter whether you believe it's going to happen here or there. The Bible's very clear. There's no way to get around these things. Even that we brought up today, there's no way to say, we're going to be mid-trib or post-trib and get around the things that we just discussed in this episode. So the Scripture has to stand first and foremost. But let's, for the sake of the argument... Let's move on to some people in the early church who taught some very interesting things that I want to show you today. Now, the men in the writings that I want to point out today are by no means authoritative or inspired. In fact, some of these men taught some things that were a little kooky. You say, well, why would you even point these men out, or why would you even talk about them? Because they are evidence. And what are they evidence of? They're evidence that there were people who taught and believed in the pre-tribulation rapture in the early church. What does that mean? It means that anyone who says the pre-tribulation rapture wasn't taught until the 1800s or wasn't taught until John Darby taught it, that makes them nothing more than a liar. And they're lying to you using the shell game, and they're saying, well, blah, 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 this, this, that, but they don't even know the truth themselves. So again, the men in the, in the writings that I want to point out today, they're by no means authoritative or inspired, but they are evidence that the pre-tribulation rapture was taught early on in the church. All right, so let me give you some of these today. 
Here's the first one we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a man by the name of um, Irenaeus of Lyons. Irenaeus of Lyons. Irenaeus was a missionary to France. He was, and you can go back and listen to our Baptist History series. We talked about Irenaeus for a little bit um, because he was a Catholic Church father. He ended up becoming and, and giving some of these doctrines of the Catholic Church. Again, I said, these men were by no means authoritative. These men were by no means inspired. These men had faults and failures, just like any of us, but these men did have some things that were a little off. But he was combating Gnosticism and the beliefs of a man by um, Marcion. And Marcion, Marcion taught Gnosticism and a lot of other things, and he believed that there was no bodily resurrection. And so Irenaeus, in response to this, he wrote a series of books entitled Against Heresies. And in Book 5, Chapter 29 and Section 1, he began talking about how the world will begin to spiral downward in a man loving creation more than God, not wanting to give God glory. And he says this right after talking about that subject of this world just spiraling downward. He said this, I'll quote from him. And therefore, when in the end the church shall suddenly be caught up from this, it is said, there shall be tribulations such as had not been since the beginning neither shall be. Notice what he says. He's giving an order to, as this world spirals down into chaos, he says this, and therefore, when in the end, the church shall suddenly be caught up from this. So, first of all, he has in his order that he's discussing here, he's teaching in Against Heresies. Again, this is book 5, chapter 29, section 1. You can go online, read it for yourself. He wrote it in Greek, um, but you can find the translation online readily available for free. I encourage you to go back and look at it. He said, And therefore, when in the end the church shall suddenly be caught up from this, so he has the chronological order timeline, the church is caught up. Interesting. What is the uh, term caught up in Greek? What is it translated as within English? Rapture. Right? So when the church shall be caught up or when the church shall be raptured from this, as the world begins to spiral downward, the church is raptured from this. Notice his chronological order that he's teaching in his book. There shall be, he's quoting scripture, there shall be tribulations such as had not been since the beginning. This is that tribulation. This is the passage he's referring to. You know what Irenaeus taught? Listen closely. Irenaeus taught that the church would be raptured, then the tribulation would happen. Well, hang on, hang on a second. I am a mid-trib, I'm a post-trib, and, and nobody taught the pre-tribulation rapture. Nobody taught it until the 1800s with John Darby. Here's a guy who taught it, and he lived in the 100s. The 100s. Let's see, the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation was completed when? Most people believe somewhere in the early 90s? Like, not 1990s, y'all. We're talking like 90. Like 91, like no digits before it, like 91, 92, you know, before the number 100. In the late 100s, you have a guy teaching the pre-tribulation rapture. Here's something very interesting as well. Do you know who Irenaeus was the disciple of, who led him to the Lord, who he studied under? He was a disciple of Polycarp. Maybe you've heard that name before, Polycarp. Do you know who led Polycarp to the Lord and trained Polycarp? John the Beloved, also called by us John the Revelator. 
you know, the author of the Gospel of John, the author of the book of Revelation, yes, the, the same John, the brother of James, who, who leaned on Jesus' breast during the night of the Lord's Supper, yeah, yeah, that John, yeah, the John you read about in the Bible, yeah, the guy who wrote the book of John, yeah, we're like two people away from the guy who wrote Revelation. Like, Irenaeus could have called him on the phone. They didn't have phones, but he could have. If they did, Irenaeus was the disciple of Polycarp, Polycarp the disciple of John, John the disciple of Christ. I mean, we're, we're pretty close to the source right there, folks. Pretty close to the source. Here's another guy, Clement of Rome. Clement lived from 30 to 100. Let's see, 30? Christ would have been crucified while Clement was alive. He wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. Now, just so you know and understand this, again, I'm not saying these guys were authoritative or inspired. A lot of people, a lot of men, a lot of Bible teachers were writing letters to these churches, not just Paul was writing letters. There were other men writing letters to these churches. Clement was one. He wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. I'm not going to read the entire book to you because it's actually longer than the letter that Paul wrote. But in chapter 23 and chapter 24, Clement outlines the timeline of the rapture, and he talks about it. You can read it for yourself. He talks about it as being before the great persecution. He uses a metaphor, uses an allegory of a tree and a vine and the leaves and everything. You can go read it for yourself. There's a lot there. But otherwise, he outlines this as the great tribulation. In fact, in chapter 23, it's entitled this. The chapter is entitled, Be Humble and Believe That Christ Will Come Again. He, Clement, I'm not going to read it all today. You can go back and look at it for yourselves. There's a lot there. But he introduces this timeline of events as being an encouragement to the church, an encouragement because the church wasn't appointed to go through the tribulation. He has that within his own writings. You can go study that out more for yourself. That was Clement. Lived in the 30 to 100. I mean, we're talking about same timeline that the book of Revelation was written. Here's a man who's teaching that the rapture happens before the tribulation. It didn't happen till 1800s and John Darby. Not true. Clement. Urane, um, What was that guy's name? Irenaeus. I couldn't even remember how to pronounce it. Irenaeus. Uh, Clement. Um, here's another guy. Remember Irenaeus? He was the disciple of who? Polycarp. Polycarp was the disciple of John the Revelator. Here's another one. Polycarp. Polycarp was the disciple of John the Beloved. I mean, this was a guy, they could go sit on the front porch with some lemonade and they could discuss what John wrote, what, what did John see when he, um, when he wrote the book of Revelation. Polycarp, again, was a guy who wrote a letter. He wrote a letter to the Ephesians. He wrote that he believed, and you could read his entire book online as well, he wrote that he believed that the church would stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which he's right, right? They'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When did he believe that would happen? You read his letter to the Ephesians, he believed that that would happen during the tribulation, which means, y'all, that the rapture would have to happen before the great tribulation. Polycarp taught this. Polycarp, the disciple of John. John the Revelator, the guy who wrote the book of Revelation, takes Polycarp under his wing, and it just so happens that Polycarp is a guy who believes that the rapture would happen before the tribulation. That is pretty compelling evidence. 
And these weren't the only people teaching this, by the way. Let me give you a guy right here. He, he's a little bit of a kook. I'll just be honest with you. He's got some weird stuff. So I'm not, again, this guy's not authoritative, not inspired. Here's what I'm doing, though. Even the kooks back then, even the weirdos, even the nuts, they believed the rapture would happen before the tribulation. It was commonplace. I'm going so far today as to say that these people who say it wasn't taught till the 1800s and it wasn't taught until Darby, they don't know their history because even the weirdos, even the nuts knew that if they wanted to have some sort of respect to their name, they knew that people were teaching the rapture happened before the tribulation. Let's talk about this guy real quick for a second, though. The Shepherd of Hermas. The Shepherd of Hermas, this was a series of writings, recorded teachings about many things, but most of it revolved around the end times, the tribulation, the rapture. It was written in the late um, late 100s AD. Um, they don't know for sure who wrote it. It was a shepherd, but they're not sure exactly who wrote it. These writings were used as a source of encouragement to the early, heavy, heavily persecuted church. You can find, um, historically, the church would read this, and it was an encouragement to them. Because these letters, these writings, encouraged the early church to look up to Jesus, because his coming was the next thing on the prophetic timeline. The shepherd of Hermas writes these writings, these teachings, and he uses a lot of allegory, a lot of metaphor, like that of what John Bunyan did in The Pilgrim's Progress. Um, C.S. Lewis was another guy who used a lot of allegory. You'll, you'll find that within the Chronicles of Narnia series. I have not watched it. Um, I've looked over some of the writings that he did in that series, um, but I have not read, uh, read extensively those things. But I know both of these guys are known for their allegory, known for their metaphor. Shepherd of Hermas was the same way. In part four, the Shepherd of Hermas writes about the tribulation. All right? In part four, which actually in his book is labeled Vision Form. I told you this guy was a little bit of a kook. Um, but in, the, in part four, the Shepherd of Hermas writes about the tribulation, and he says this in chapter two of this fourth part, this fourth vision. He says this, and I'm going to quote, a kook. All right, I already said this, all right? I, I find this very interesting, though. Number two. All right, number two. Here we are. Let's, let's read what he says in chapter two. He says, Now after I had passed by the wild beast. Now, he's using allegory, using metaphor. Now after I had passed by the wild beast and had moved forward about 30 feet, lo, a virgin meets me adorned as if she were proceeding from the bridal chamber, clothed entirely in white and with white sandals and veiled up to her forehead, and her head was covered by a hood, and she had white hair." Just a question for you. How did he know that she had white hair if she was covered up with a veil to the forehead and she had a hood on? I don't know. Just something that popped into my mind. All right, let's keep reading. I knew from my former visions that this was the church. Again, he's using allegory, folks. All right, I find it kind of interesting, though. Um, I knew from my former visions that this was the church, and I became more joyful. She saluted me and said, Hail, O man. And I returned her salutation and said, Lady, hail. And she answered and said to me, has nothing crossed your past or your path? I say, I was met by a beast of such size that it could destroy peoples. But through the power of the Lord and his great mercy, I escaped from it. 
Well did you escape from it, says she, because you cast your care on God and opened your heart to the Lord, believing that you can be saved by no other than by his great and glorious name. On this account, the Lord hath sent his angel, who has rule over the beasts, and whose name is Thigri, and has shut up his mouth, or its mouth, so that it cannot tear you. Now notice this. Notice what the shepherd of Hermas writes. He says this, You have escaped from great tribulation, on account of your faith, and because you did not doubt in the presence of such a beast. Go therefore and tell the elect of the Lord his mighty deeds, and say to them, listen here, that this beast is a type of the great tribulation that is coming. If then ye prepare yourselves and repent with all your heart and turn to the Lord, it will be possible for you to escape it if your heart be pure and spotless. Now, here's a guy living in the 100s. A little weird, right? That's a little, some interesting stuff here. But here's what he taught. Even a kook, even a weirdo, even a nut. He taught, hey, if you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be delivered from the great tribulation. You're not going to have to go through it. Now, again, this is not inspired, right? This is a shepherd sharing in metaphor some teachings about the end times. But he talks about the tribulation and even gives it a, in metaphor and allegory in picture, he gives it this idea of a beast that is going to eat people up. Pretty accurate of, a, of an allegory, right? It is faith in Christ that saves from the beast. So he taught the tribulation, um, that if you were saved, you wouldn't have to go through the tribulation. Here's my point. You say, why bring that up? This guy's a little bit weird. I understand that. Here's what it is. It's evidence that people did teach early in church history that the rapture would happen before, before the tribulation. How about another nut for you? Another weirdo. A guy by the name of Victorinus. Victorinus of Patau. Victorinus of Patau. Victorinus, he was a little nutty too. He lived in modern-day Serbia in the second century, which is the 100s. He became fed up and uh, fed up with false teachings and heresies, so he wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. I'm not going to take the whole time to read to you today a whole commentary, but he talked about in his commentary how the rapture would happen before the Great Tribulation. All right, here's, a, here's another thing. I think we're at number six of evidence right here, number six, the Didache. The Didache. It's a, it's a treatise. It's a... It's often called the teaching of the Twelve. It was a summarization of the beliefs of Christianity. It was a, a constitution. You know, the churches, they all came out with creeds and things like that. And before creeds and before all that, they had the Didache. And it was written in the mid-2nd century, the mid-100s. This constitution taught, you can go read it, you can read the translation of it. This constitution taught that the followers of Christianity, they should always be watching because Christ could return at any time. And immediately, you can read it for yourself in the Didache, that because Christ could return at any time, immediately after he returned, you know what would start? The Great Tribulation. In fact, they use quotes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Very interesting that a constitution, a summarization of the beliefs of Christianity, one of the beliefs they would list in the early one or the mid one hundreds, they would list that the rapture happening before the tribulation is something they taught, even quoting from Bible passages that we've quoted from already. Now I don't have time today 
But we could mention the teachings of the pre-tribulation rapture found in, again, people who are not authoritative, not inspired, not even everything they say was true. But people did, in fact, teach it. Um, You can find things within the epistle of Barnabas and, and men like Cyprian and others. What's interesting about this is, is historically, it is believed that the Albigens, the Lombards, the Waldensians, if you if you listen through our Baptist history series from beginning to end, you will have heard all those names. Why? They were early groups of Baptists. Now again, the Baptist name wasn't used at that point in time. That would come a little bit later. But th- they were early Baptists. They believed the same things as an independent fundamental Baptist of today's world. They taught the same things. The one thing they taught historically... These were early Baptist groups, y'all, going hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They taught in the pre-tribulation rapture. Go back to our Baptist history series to learn more about these groups, because they were all early Baptists. You could trace their lineage back to Christ and the apostles. Very interesting that they would teach, historically, the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I say all of this today to say this, and here's the point. Don't feel like you are backed into a corner when someone says that, well, no one taught the pre-tribulation rapture before the 1800s. No one taught the, great, the, the pre-tribulation rapture before John Darby. Those people are straight-up liars. Here's a question for you. If they lie about that, what else do they lie about? And you say, well, they, they're not liars. Or maybe you're listening today and you're like mid-trip, post-trip. You're like, well, I've said that before, and, and uh, you know, I just didn't know. Okay. I understand. But don't, for those of you who are pre-trib and, and you hear this as an introduction, you know, nobody taught it, blah, 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 blah. Don't feel backed into a corner. It's not true. I ask this, though. I ask this. They say, well, you know, pre-trib rapture wasn't taught until, you know, the... Uh, the 1800s, until John Darby. I ask this of mid-tribbers, post-tribbers. When was post-trib first taught? Not that I know. I don't know. I don't know. But when I began to study it out, I was surprised that historically, everyone that I could find taught a pre-tribulation rapture. Could it be, and I'm just throwing this thought out here, maybe one of you can correct me, you can email me, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. Could it be that they throw that out because really they're the ones whose belief wasn't taught until really later on in history? Just a thought I pose. My friend, can I tell you this as we end today's episode? Look up. Look up. Be watching. Not for the Antichrist. Uh, We're not not watching for the rise of the Antichrist. We're watching for Christ because his return is imminent. That means it can happen at any time. And we have hope because we look for him. And in that fact that we're looking for Christ... In the fact of the truth of what we talked about today, we truly can comfort one another with these words 
And we truly are reminded to be busy about winning souls. Look up. Until next time, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.